1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Datable, a show all about modern dating where we dig into the whys of people's behavior as we look at society as a whole. And I say that with emphasis because of all the shit that went down in this past week. Julie, I'm just outraged by everything that's been going on in the news. And I still can't believe that we've come full circle back to the starting point of where all this happened at the beginning of covid mm-hmm. where there was all that asian discrimination with covid being the kung flu and all that bullshit and look at us a year later not only do those do those stereotypes and hurtful words still exist but they've now resulted in deaths and mm-hmm. homicide uh i think this is just I'm at a loss for words at where we are in the U.S. right now because, you know, I came to the States when I was eight years old, so I was not born here. And the year I left was the year of the Tiananmen Square massacre, and I was in Beijing when this happened. I was in school when we heard gunshots, and they took us out of school, and I remember being on the school bus and seeing people with bloodied faces on the street. And I remember going home to my mom, asking her what was happening. And she said, don't worry, we'll be in the U.S. soon. It'll be safe for us. And I can't believe here we are uh, feeling extremely unsafe and and oppressed by the racism that some people refuse to acknowledge in this country. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I want to first start off and say like – I. I'm sorry that you are going through this right now. And like all of our Asian listeners, like I think it's incredibly difficult to like see people, you know, like being treated this way. And I think it is the rhetoric from the start of COVID that has set the scene for this. And I think a lot of people are saying this shouldn't have been a surprise that this was going to happen. Like one of our past guests, May Lee, who's the Mm -hmm. host of the May Lee Show is, you know, the May Lee Show is basically all about like Asian Americans and lifting Asian Americans up. and she's been she's been very vocal and did an incredible interview um, on a news channel and said like this should not be a surprise this has been like you know like when you hear the president say this type of stuff it does spawn outwards and i think it's actually unfortunately too in theme with our episode this week with toxic masculinity unplanned we actually edited before Mm -hmm. all this happened but it is a hundred percent toxic masculinity this whole like asian rhetoric like i remember that I had male friends that would say like, oh, I only like to date Asian women because Mm -hmm. they're like small and bendy and, you know, like submissive and quiet. And at the time, like, I don't even think I realized like how damaging that narrative was. Like, I think like selfishly, I was like, oh, well, that doesn't describe me. That is like, they're kind of like lucky in a way that they like have all these men like drooling over them. And then like all my Asian friends were like, no, it is not like that at all. Like, this is not something that any of us Watch in any way. You don't want men that like view you as weak. And I think that's exactly what this happened. They're saying like the motive is unclear, but come on, it's obviously <laughs> race related. But even like the fact that a man would go in and kill like eight Asian women, like that means that like he viewed that as like an easy target essentially.
1: Well, the fact that he went to separate places, it wasn't just one place, and he targeted only Asian massage parlors, that already is just so obvious. I don't know. You have to be really. You have to be a dumbass to not see that as as race motivated. But I do also want to point out that these stereotypes, I think for years, Asians have been seen as the model minority. It is the most oppressive stereotype for us because whenever we do speak up. We are seen as the, you know, the bad person. We're Mm -hmm. seen as bossy. We're seen as bitchy. We're seen as someone who stepped out of line and who's not a good Asian. And in fact, the Asian community also reprimands other Asians for speaking up. And if anything, this is our time to speak up because if we don't do that now, we're just letting these stereotypes and the racism oppress us even more. And I know that in the last year I've been speaking up more at work and I do get looks and I do get comments and surprises. You know, why is she speaking up? She's supposed to be like the good worker, Mm -hmm. the hard worker. Well, fuck that. I have my own opinions and I came to the U.S. because of this freedom of speech, because I can speak my mind. And so that I don't have to be part of this Tiananmen Square massacre that I was trying to escape from. And here I am feeling the exact same way by the country that I have every right to be in. I feel for all of my Asian brothers and sisters right now. And I thank you for all the allies who've been vocal in supporting us. And we got to let everyone know this is just not fucking okay anymore.
0: Yeah. And I think it's like this compliment of being like, Mm. you know, feminine and submissive, like that Mm -hmm. is not a compliment. And I think like, you know, years ago, and this is like all women. I mean, I think Asian women feel it even more. But I think this whole, like patriarchy of like Mm -hmm. men feeling bigger with someone that's smaller I think for so long we were fed like you're supposed to be feminine you're supposed to be like this so that I think is why like I saw it like oh they're actually like seen higher than I am in this regard but that like is not how it is whatsoever no one wants to be seen as a less than unequal and no one wants to be like the target of someone because of that like that's not a compliment in any
1: way it is not our job to make you feel like you have a big penis. Right. And if you, not- <laughs> if you think that is what Asian women are put on earth to do, then you go to hell. Yeah. It's a fucking ridiculous. The comments that I've gotten that my friends have gotten from anything from like, oh, I love tight Asian pussies. So gross. To is it true that Asian women stay tight all their life? I've I've slapped three men in my life, all three because of comments like this. And I hope that I was not the only one that slapped them.
0: It is like a rhetoric, too. Like, there's not really like a win win on this because I know like a lot of white friends of mine, too. Like, it makes us feel bad because it's like, oh, you're not those things either. So, it's mm-hmm. not really like helping either party in this. It's just making all women feel like shit, basically.
1: I think we just have to recognize the oppression of our words. And when we say them, do we really mean them? Where does it come from? Where does this stem from? Take a step back before you say things that you've heard on TV or heard your Mm -hmm. friends joke around about because those words can be extremely hurtful and that's what our guest joseph is going to talk about too with toxic masculinity with the words that you're brought up hearing around you, and not just like friends or the media, but even your family, your parents right. have said certain things that now is the time to st- step back and ask, is this something that is okay to say? And most of the time, it probably is not.
0: Yeah, I thought this was really interesting. Because I think when I think of toxic masculinity, I actually think of the guy that murdered everyone like yeah. that is what comes to mind. And the fact that like the cop was like, oh, he had a bad day. Oh, it's my like, God. Come on. There's so many other ways to handle a bad day other than killing a bunch of people. Let's like take that for what that is. But I think when I think of toxic masculinity, I think of like someone taking out rage and like, you know, treating women poorly. And there's definitely that side of it. But I think what Joseph brings, especially, which is also interesting because he's an Asian male, which Mm -hmm. I think Asian males also face this like kind of submissive vibe too. Like there's actually stats that like Asian men are victims of um, crimes more than white men or even other men of color just because they're more seen as weak and I think like the fact that like he talks about just the whole like notion of like the way that he felt around toxic yes. masculinity it wasn't even necessarily toxic masculinity that men were doing to women but how it can also impact another man's psyche
1: the whole locker room talk he talks about how uncomfortable it is to be in the crosswires of when people are talking about women in a certain mm-hmm. way and then they question his sexuality when he He doesn't talk about women in a certain way. And he was questioned that by a woman, which I think is so crazy to think about, too. So these are just some of the things we just got to step back and think about, like, why are we talking like wow. this. Where did, where did this language come from? It makes absolutely no sense. And Trevor Noah made a really good point in his rant, his Instagram rant is phenomenal if you haven't seen it or heard it. He says, "Why is it that in the Atlanta shootings, the media was trying to humanize yes. the shooter by saying he was at the end of his rope, he had a really bad day, he had a sex addiction." When what about the 8 people Whose lives are Mm -hmm. now gone, whose families have to deal with the hurt and the pain of losing their family members. What about those people? Did they deserve to be at the end of someone's rope and the consequences of someone having a bad day shieldy posted something that was like i had a uh, what was that meat that um yeah it's like ate cheesecake for dinner yeah, i had a bad yeah. day i had a bad day and i had <laughs> six chicken thighs yeah. like i did not go murder eight
0: people oh no, it's true though but i think the other side i'm not you know, in any way in giving any reason against this guy but I think it is a sign of toxic masculinity because we talk about with Joseph that like the side effects is this aggression that comes out or suicide or like things that really can be detrimental to a person because of all this like bottled up emotion and again I'm not making excuses for this guy at all but I'm sure that's where it came from the fact that he like didn't have outlets to get this out and it's problematic for society because then it's it ends up being, you know, someone that's just in there doing their job gets reprimanded, essentially.
1: But I'm glad you brought this up, Julie, because remember in our Connor Beaton um, episode he talks about being at the end of your rope and feeling like you're at, you've hit rock bottom and that's when you feel like you need a change and we talked about how a lot of men feel like they ha- they have to hit that rock bottom before they change out of toxic masculine behavior but the that episode was so fantastic because we talk about you how you don't need to hit the rock bottom we actually have to catch the toxic masculinity before it gets there because that's when it gets dangerous for the people for the person himself and for society. Totally.
0: I think the other thing that was super interesting as well is that, like relating it actually back to last week's episode about age, mm. one comment in our Facebook group, Victoria, one of our community members, made a comment that she likes to date down because in a way it actually levels the playing field between mm. men and women. Because by mm. default, men are like higher on the due to patriarchy and like all the stuff that we're living in a man's world. So I thought that was like a super interesting comment comment in the sense that like this is existing in every aspect of our lives with toxic masculinity, whether it's like a direct thing or an indirect thing.
1: So these are some of the topics that we actually discuss in The Sounding Board with other open mind, open heart people who are willing to have these open discussions about them. And that's why we love this community so much. And we don't just we don't just talk about deep topics like this. I mean, obviously, this is a very heavy, heavy topic. We also talk about other things like ghosting and breadcrumbing and any other like new dating term that's out there. And we keep it light and fun as well. So if you're looking for that community, especially during this time, and you're craving that support, the community that we've created at The Sounding Board is, I think, one of the best communities out there um, for anybody who's seeking that. And I just want to make a plug for what we've created there. Just go to datablepodcast.com slash sounding board for all the information. We had a wonderful event with Ken Page on deeper dating, but also finding your core gifts. Julie, were you like, what are my core gifts before this... Like, what does that even mean?
0: <laughs> yeah, I think like, um, you might be able to tell from my voice, I'm a little raspy and under the weather right this minute. I've actually had a head cold that I didn't think was possible. I know, what's that? Time. <laughs> yeah. I do not have COVID. I'm pretty damn sure about that because I don't have any of the symptoms for COVID. But I think like I was a little delirious on meds <laughs> and I'm like trying to put everything together. And I think what I realized when I was hopped up on cold meds was that, <laughs> that you know, like, I think the things... Because we did bring it back to dating trauma. That was kind of a piece of this. And I think, like, regardless, we all have trauma. I mean, including some of the stuff we were talking about earlier. Like, that's traumatic. What I've learned, though, is that the things that sting us the deepest are actually our core gifts. So Mm -hmm. like I was thinking about it, like if ghosting really bothers you, like that Mm -hmm. is like so traumatic that you're like fear ghosting happening. Like if you look at the flip side of ghosting, why it bothers you is that someone was not able to close the loop in a way that felt respectful, even though it was like Mm -hmm. a difficult conversation. And the way I look at that is like, actually your core gift (laughs) is that you really value that. And that's something, Mm -hmm. That you're able to do And that's why it tends to dig really deep for you What I've learned from all of this conversation Is yes we can feel what we need to feel With all the trauma that happens in dating But at the end of the day Like just sitting in hurt Isn't moving us forward So while we could feel it Like just getting bitter and more bitter Like what is that How is that helping us So I love this like re-channeling it Into like I can't deal with these people that are flaky well, that means that I'm pretty damn like res- reliable and that mm-hmm. I stick with my guns and my plans. Like That makes me a great partner. Like I'd rather us reframe things that way.
1: Yeah, I had a light bulb moment with that because I, I think about how for uh, earlier on in dating, a lot of people say, uh, I really do not like it when people ghost. I really do not like it when people don't text back. What if we flip the script and instead of listing out all the things you don't like in dating, You flip it to all the things that you do admire and that Mm -hmm. you do well. So I am very accountable and I respond back to texts in a timely manner and I never ghost. If you turn it back on you, it gives more accountability for the person that you're dating because now they're thinking, okay, if she values these, these qualities, then I must uphold my standards to the same level.
0: And it's also instead of looking at it like, oh, this person ghosted me, there's something wrong with me. It's okay, this person can't communicate effectively. Right. Do I want that? You know, I think there's that shift that's a subtle shift. And yeah, you could argue like maybe it doesn't change your dating life outcome in that moment. That person still ghosted you. But I strongly believe it actually does change your outcome because you show up to the next date positive instead of the state of like poor me. Like who wants to date that? No one. Nobody.
1: Nobody. Very good point.
0: Should we go into some of our sponsors?
1: Let's do it. This episode is sponsored by Apostrophe, a prescription skincare company for people that are ready to take their skin seriously. I've struggled with skin issues all my life, ranging from acne, uneven skin tone, and now aging. And now with all the mask wearing, it's exasperating my skin issues. And then Apostrophe comes to the rescue. So here's how it works. You fill out an online questionnaire about your skin concerns, snap a few selfies, and a board-certified dermatologist creates a customized treatment plan just for you. Your medications are then delivered to your home. Easy. It took me maybe three minutes to fill out the questionnaire and upload my photos, and I've already started my treatment, and I'll update you all on how that's going in a few weeks. So far, I've seen a drastic reduction in my mask maskne. That's mask acne, in case you didn't know. In the meantime, get $15 off your first visit with a board-certified dermatologist at apostrophe.com datable and use our code datable. This code is only available for our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe. Dot com slash and click begin visit, then use the code datable a sign up and you'll get $15 off your dermatology visit. That's A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E to get your dermatology visit for $15 off. first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today.
0: I have also just been loving Gobble lately. I am like obsessed with it. I feel like it has made my like healthy eating on autopilot. And especially after gaining like the COVID-15, it is exactly what I needed right now. So like I am just kind of giving another endorsement that I just absolutely love Gobble.
1: Well, to continue on this Gobble (laughs) rant, I was talking to a friend who is all about productivity. And he was saying that we spend on average three hours a day cooking and eating. Mm-hmm. Now, those three hours a day, if you are in some sort of uh, career where you can charge an hourly rate, think about what three hours could mean oh. when it comes to the bottom line. So he started automating. So he's like, I'm automating. I'm giving it out to someone else to cook for me so that I can use that time and spend it on my clients or spend it on my business.
0: Oh, 100%. I think that's what my downfall was that the start of quarantine, I was cooking all these meals that I just got overwhelmed because I didn't have the time. And then I started doing takeout, which is just bad for you. So bad. And way more expensive. Also, like Gobble, they like make the whole meal ahead of time, essentially, it takes like 15 minutes, and it is legit. Restaurant quality. That's I don't like really like profit up gobble, <laughs> but I think I've sold like four friends in the last week because I'm obsessed with it. Okay, enough about my gobble talk. <laughs> I know you're all hungry, but we have more important things to talk about. Let's talk about toxic masculinity.
1: Here's Joseph. What does toxic masculinity mean? We've talked about this with previous guests. We've had numerous conversations about it, but I can never get sick of this topic because I really think that it is the root of so many societal issues and doesn't mean we're going to get to the bottom of it, but at least we can uncover even more perspectives about it. And that's why we have our guest Joseph with us today. Hi, Joseph.
2: Hi, you two doing? and it's great to be here. Good to have you. (laughs) Uh, Joseph
1: has been in the Bay Area for 12 years. He was born in L.A. but grew up in Sacramento. He's 29 years old. But by by the time this comes out, I think you'll be 30. So
0: (laughs) speak to the the future self.
1: Yes. (laughs) The the dirty 30. He is pretty single and has been taking a dating sabbatical. That's what they all say, isn't it? I feel like,
0: yeah, COVID times, it's so easy to take a dating sabbatical. You're like, oh, it's COVID. COVID. It's sabbatical
1: yeah why not it makes sense um so it, joseph has been a serial monogamous but he's been if he's been single for the past year and he says he's been putting a lot of work into self and personal development he is a health coach and trainer which by the way i just got to say very few asian males in this space who are like out there who are putting their content out there, putting their faces out there. So I commend you for that. And as a male in fitness, he struggled with masculinity because he just didn't vibe so well with the straight broy type of person that has been infiltrating the fitness industry for a long time. I know that type all too well.
0: <laughs> but you are straight. Like I think that's an interesting point is that even as a straight man, you don't identify with the others. Straight men that are broy, I guess.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I've always felt like it's hard for me to find a place in like the fitness world in that way.
1: What do you think it has been like growing up? What has been the historic definition of masculinity that you know of?
2: I think that's a uh subjective uh, case because. I think men don't always have all, all the same experiences, right? There's a this guy named Lewis Howes who has a podcast called The School of Greatness. And he has a book called The Mask of Masculinity where there's all these different types of masculine archetypes. Uh, for me, you know, growing up as an Asian American, I really identified with what a typical Asian success story looks like, which would be your family essentially wants you to be like a doctor, uh, like a lawyer or an engineer, you know, just achieving really, really high. So a lot of times that, so that they can kind of brag about your life as well. <laughs> and then if you choose to kind of live a different path than what they wanted for you, then you're almost seen as like a failure and That there's no hope for you. Uh, Another thing that I struggled with masculinity was that it was really hard for me as an Asian American to share emotion with uh, the people around me, uh, especially my dad and my brother. So uh, a big part of my story is that my mother passed away when I was 15 years old, and I'm a huge mama's boy. And I, I, I still I was born on International Women's Day, so I have a lot. So was my
1: boyfriend. (laughs) <laughs> oh, <wow>. like, Yeah. <laughs> March
2: 8th. Let's go. Um, but after my mom passed away, it was really hard for uh, my dad and my brother to communicate on these uh, deeper levels. I, looking back on it now, I know that my dad was really struggling and he was really going through so much. And even just recently, when I saw them around Christmas time, finally having a real conversation and I, I asked him how he was doing in that time. And he told me that he was really struggling, but he couldn't tell me. Mm. Uh, And I felt like that was kind of the same mentality that I was carrying forward uh, with my life as well, that I was struggling to be vulnerable, struggling to talk about, you know, real things. And, you know, a lot of times you think that feelings are just weak as a man. Mm. Uh, A big part of my story, because I sent you a this talk that I did at Imagine Talks about redefining masculinity for a healthier man and a happier society. So what I was trying to do is redefine the values that we're given as men. So one of the things that I wanted to redefine was, you know, redefining greatness and how greatness is not about, it's not about outshining other people around you. It's about helping others find their glow, helping them be the best that they can be. And another one was uh, strength is not about being unstoppable. Strength is about being vulnerable you know, Mm -hmm. being able to tell people what's truly going on in your life, I think that requires so much strength. But the last thing that I wanted to redefine was actually how love and uh, love is not a sign of weakness, because that's what I thought it was. Mm. But love is our most powerful gift. I think love Mm -hmm. is the most powerful gift that we could ever give someone in our lives. Because when my mom was like, so she got something that was actually really similar to COVID. She basically got this parasite in her lungs and it basically destroyed her lungs. Mm. So the crazy thing about this is that she was in a coma for three months and, and it lasted all the way till January 15th. So she passed away January 15th, uh, 2007, Martin Luther King Day that year. Yeah, it was crazy because she was awake for three days actually. So she was in a drug-induced coma for three months. And she was awake for three days. And that was Christmas Eve, Christmas, and the day after Christmas. Oh,
1: wow. You're kidding me. Yeah. And was, was she fully comfortable? She could
2: look someone? at us and she could uh, wow. even speak sl- slightly to us as well. And even though I knew my mom was dying in front of me, you know, these were her last, could have been her last days, you know, I just, I just didn't know. And it was so hard for me to say, like, I love you. I'm so grateful for everything that you are. And I want you to keep powering through this. You know, it was hard for me to give her a hug and give her a kiss on the cheek. I feel a lot of regret from that time. That's why I'm always going to talk about that story. I don't want anyone, if they're a man or a female or whatever, like hold back from saying these words of I love you or showing love with the people around them.
0: I want to drill into this like love as a weakness. Like how has this shown yeah. up in
2: your romantic relationships also?
1: Yeah, and where did you get that notion in the first place?
2: So where I got that notion, I guess just growing up, like I said, in a... In an Asian family, it was really hard for us to uh, show love and appreciation for uh, the people around us, um, if that was your family members or your friends. How it comes into relationships, a lot of times struggling to to let people know what's going on inside situations, because even now I'm looking at situations that I've gone through in my most previous relationship and being like, wow, I... I really messed up here and I could have made the situation a lot better if I uh, did the work on myself. So there's a lot of power in just holding someone in a conversation, right? So if I was having an argument with my ex-girlfriend and she was yelling at me, saying whatever she wanted to, and then at the end of it, when we're breaking up, she said, you know, I wish you could have just hold- held me. Mm. I wish you could have just like talked to me about this mm. stuff. It sounds easy to say that now, right? Right. Because then in this moment when someone's yelling at you, you know, saying you're a piece of shit for you, what you believe is not really an issue or we're not really that big of a deal. If you could have just like held on to that person instead of, you know, getting upset back and being like, hey, let's just talk about this. You know, Um, I would definitely wish I had more patience in that way and more love because I feel like if I had enough love to overpower like the anger and frustration that I was feeling And I believe that love would prevail in that situation.
0: Was that because you viewed that as like how you should be a man? Or like, why did you kind of turn to anger over turning to love?
2: Yeah, I I think it's just uh, the things that you value will appear in your life. If you have a different situation where, you know, someone is like being a mean person to you, and then you value kindness. So you're like, oh, this person is trying to, like, make me feel like shit, but I'm going to try and Return kindness to them. I think that would make a difference if that's what you value. And I think if you continue to value love in every situation, I think that's what's going to get revealed, you know? So I think uh, as a a man, uh, I think sometimes it still is a little bit more difficult to share that value if you can kind of think about other values that are not that you hold on to, but other values that are, I guess, distracting from wanting to do that.
1: I want to take a step back and use the term that Tim Ferriss uses, is double click on these moments in your life. And we all have these defining moments in our life that propel us to be who we are today and what we stand for. So I identify two just by your story alone. One is the moment your dad told you that he was struggling, but he couldn't tell you. So let's go back to that moment. How did you feel when he told you that? And how did it motivate you to change that, that school of thought?
2: Yeah, I, you know, I feel like as men, uh, a toxic masculinity will show up in a lot of different ways, right? I think there's different levels of it. You know, you can see things like a physical abuse, emotional abuse, right? And then you also see suicide as, you know, a side effect of toxic masculinity. But I think what can sometimes be more damaging is the subtleties of it right where someone inside is screaming for help and you know they're just getting so crushed and they're feeling so much pain inside but they refuse to share that and they're not able to be vulnerable they're not able to ask for help sometimes men we struggle with letting people know what's deeply going on inside of our hearts because we're afraid to feel weak when in actuality like some of the most important conversations that we need to have are the conversations that are going on inside of us.
1: So that takes me to that next defining moment in your life, which is you didn't have you haven't talked about it, but I think it will be a defining moment when we hear about it. It's the first time you said I love you. Can you take us back to that time <laughs> to the person you said it to and how did you work up the courage to say those words?
2: Um yeah, I think it was really really hard for me, you know. It's just like something that you kind of like hold in and then it was actually like a very emotionally intimate relationship and a sexually intimate <laughs> relationship so I think it was like after that when you have all the endorphins going <laughs> and then you're like wow you know um
1: how old were you and how did you say it
2: yeah I, I think it was probably when I was freshman in college uh it's kind of my first real relationship I don't know i guess it wasn't like this epic like romantic i think the thing that's tough about what i went through is that you know when i lost my mom i wanted to cling to partnership actually so mm. i wanted to cling to these women because i was trying to fill a void as well of like you know mm. me losing that motherly figure and i think a lot of times it ended it it made me like really move forward really fast with mm. uh some relationships and you know kind of going to a place where we're like really codependent and you know probably I think I probably said I love you like within a month or something oh wow like just running and gunning being like all right let's let's do all the things, you know, I've been waiting for this and thinking like, I'm at 18 years old, ready for marriage. I'm like, no. Wait,
0: so how did you get over the fear? Because you were saying earlier that like, I love you was this like, super scary thing to say that you felt like you couldn't do. But then a month in, that's like, that's just, you know, a total 180. How did, how did you make that change?
2: (laughs) I I think the thing that's funny is that, you know, I I remember hearing this there. It's like, men will speak at different tones right when they're speaking with different people like when it's with their bros are like hey what's up bro like how you doing like, or if it's like with their family it's probably a little bit more normal and then when were their when they're with their like girls or their partners you know the girls or guys whoever it is their partners they'll be like speaking a lot higher pitch so it's a completely different setting where i was like oh i love you yeah <laughs> is that how you no said it no one else would see that you know so i'd be like oh no one's gonna
0: know so that's like the opposite though of what you were describing earlier with toxic masculinity mm-hmm. keeping it all in, like how did you make that shift? like I think I'm still like curious like what happened mm-hmm. that made you ultimately be like, "I don't wanna be this type of guy. I'm just gonna let my feelings out and let these women know exactly how I feel
2: huh. so i think I think this toxic masculinity thing is also it's like a really layered situation because uh I think there's toxic masculinity that's like as a person as a whole like what they're going through their whole entire experience and i don't think it's going to necessarily translate fully to okay toxic masculinity also just in, in dating come up in that way as well does that does that make sense
1: maybe there're two ways that toxic mas- masculinity can manifest this is how i see it in, in the books i've read about it it's Manifests either in some sort of physical behavior, so like violence or, or suicide because it's from like repressing feelings from childhood trauma, right? Another way toxic masculinity manifests is you disconnect your words to your feelings. So where, where we see that is in the form of fuckboys. They have no problems telling you everything you want to hear but it doesn't connect with their heart and they're able to leave much faster because they've, they've trained for years to separate their words from their deep down feelings that they haven't addressed. Mm-hmm. So I can see how someone who didn't grow up saying, I love you, can then also quickly say, I love you, to get the affections, to get close to someone mm-hmm. without actually feeling what that means.
0: And also, I wonder if there's some of it that, like, you like you said that you were kind of displacing feelings for your mother, like, onto yeah. these women. Like, looking back, do you think you actually did truly love them? Or, like, like, did you just fall fast because you were displacing that love? Or, like, did you just really have that love to give?
2: I think that was a big part of it because, um, yeah, this is actually really helpful because I think a lot of times in my first relationships was definitely built around, like, sexual intimacy. You know, because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. You know, I I was a super late bloomer. I got my first kiss when I was 18 years old. And my first, like, actual real relationship was when I was a freshman in college. And then that relationship was actually really built around, you know, like, sex. And when... And I kind of, like, wanted to see the end of the relationship. I knew that it wasn't really a true thing. It wasn't really, like, this full-on, like, emotionally mature relationship. In a lot of ways, it was actually me doing what I thought a man was supposed to do and that was like you know I think yeah it's definitely true is that I built a lot of relationships around like sexual intimacy and thinking that was love so I think I got really close with these people really fast because you know we had that sexual connection I was like really excited about that that was like my first time to experience these things but soon after that when was supposed to be like a real relationship where, you know, you're done with a honeymoon phase and, you know, you go to this place where you're trying to foster something that was just a struggle for me. And I ended up leaving these people and uh, just breaking their hearts in a million pieces. and mm. uh,
0: Cause you didn't have like the emotional capabilities. It's more of like you, you equated sex with love, not necessarily the emotional depth that you needed to actually truly love someone.
2: Yeah. And I think, I think it can be easily disguised right? Because it's a very intimate connection. After I graduated college, there was, uh, my, that last relationship was probably the uh, most kind of codependent relationship. And then uh, after those, I was with a girl who was doing a lot more self-work and uh, able to create these boundaries. And I started reading more and educating myself on these issues as well. I think as a man, I think a lot of times we don't know we don't have the education behind, oh, this is how you create better boundaries or, mm-hmm. oh, this person needs to live their own life and I just need to support them and stuff. You know, it's more like, oh, I want to do my thing and then they're going to do they're going to like be around me as well and, you know, support me in my thing. And sometimes it might be hard to create the right boundaries unless you have the education, you're doing the work on yourself to see what the issues are coming up.
0: This, it sounds like this relationship really did help you, like, start to kind of become more emotionally available and, like, really get in touch with that side. And I think that is so fascinating that, that you thought that you had all this love, but it was really displaced in sex. Like, is there anything else in terms of, like, typical toxic masculinity traits that you experienced at one point and now you feel like you've kind of overcome?
2: Huh, I... Yeah, I I really learned a lot from being in that relationship. But also, I think for me, that was a really important moment of my life when I was starting to meet like really good friends and men that I looked up to. So one thing that I struggled with was being vulnerable and like letting people know that Uh, I needed to work on myself or, you know, letting people know about the mistakes that I had. And I actually have a really good friend of mine. He was one of my really good friends that I was able to like have conversations with him about, you know, relationship stuff. And he's a lot older than me as well. He like recommended me like reading different books. And he was like, he had a, a past marriage that didn't work out. And he was able to share with me a lot of the things that he's gone through and he has been able to uh, learn over time. So I struggled before with creating solid relationships with men that I look up to, mm. you know, and I think a big part of the rite of passage of being a better man is to just be around like men that you feel like you can look up to that, you know, are going to have your back and that are going to help you be a better person. Uh, and I didn't have that before. So I think I was probably I probably only had that when I was 27 or 28. You know, I I felt like it was hard for me to look up to the people who like the men in my life, actually. And I struggled with having close, intimate relationships.
1: I think there are several areas where toxic masculinity shows up that are so subtle that we don't recognize them. And you say you didn't recognize them till your late 20s. I recently just recognized them and I'm 40. So you are 10 steps ahead of everyone else, I would say. I'll give you some examples of when I look back in my life and how I perpetuated this kind of behavior. One is I took my male cousin to a club when he was 18. And the whole time I was just telling him to hook up with girls. It's like, go Mm. find a girl, go take a chick home. Never in any universe would I tell that to a guy that I would want to date. Oh, it's awesome if you go to a club and sleep with random people. But for some reason... As my male cousin, I felt like I had to start him young on that kind of behavior.
0: And you would never do that for a woman either, like ever. A girlfriend, you would never do that for.
1: Hell no. The second time I recognized this behavior was I was listening to my guy friends body shame each other. Yo, man, you're looking kind of fat. Like, what's going on? Got those cheeseburgers on you? Oh, yeah, you you must be related to my cousin because he's fat too. Like, wait, that's not okay. Those are times I should have been like, you guys, that's not cool. Because even though I think these men can put up a front and say, oh, it's funny, we're just like, we're just giving each other shit. Bros. They're yeah. being bros that are just so damaging to their own self-confidence. And the third time I recognized this was I, I work in a male-dominated industry and there's always locker room talk always mm-hmm. and I always thought to fit in I join in on that locker room talk oh who's hot you who would I sleep with if I if I had the chance and I always thought that was a way to fit in when it really was my moment to say guys that's just not okay being in the crossfires of that locker room talk, how does that make you feel especially in this industry? And has there ever been a time where you sort of stopped the conversation and said, "I'm just not cool with this"?
2: Yeah, definitely. I definitely do experience that. Even even still, you you'll go um, if I hang out with you know some straight guys, some like some of the guys that like do like a lot of calisthenics outside or something, or well, they'll have like these conversations, being like, "Oh yeah, where, where's this girl? You better be sleeping with her and stuff like that." I definitely don't like to hear that at all, you know. And you kind of feel like you have to. To say something sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, I would say like when I was working in corporate gyms, we'd have more of those conversations and, you know, you, a lot of times you, I would end up saying stuff like that as well. Being like, oh yeah, like, look at that chick, she's super hot, you know, you should go get at her as well. Yeah, And it's just a, it's a challenge that, you know, you feel like you have to fit in, otherwise that person is Mm going to think that, you know, you're a pussy Mm -hmm. or you're less than a man. I I know for me, like there's a lot of times where someone is saying stuff like that and I should do a better job. I'll just not say anything Mm -hmm. or I'll change the subject. But, you know, it's hard for me to be like, hey, like stop saying uh, those things about this girl. Should we take one quick break
0: from Joseph's story to get into um, a quick message from our partner?
1: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We at Datable are huge fans of therapy and BetterHelp can match you with your own licensed therapist and connect you in a safe and private online environment. Me, for example, I was able to start communicating with my therapist in less than 48 hours. It was so quick. Now, BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches and it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Their licensed professionals specialize in everything from dating trauma, stress, anxiety, trauma with a big T, uh, depression, grief, you name it, they have someone who's an expert in that. We at Dateable wish for all of you to live a happy, healthy life. And that's why as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash dateable. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp spelled H-E-L-P dot .com/dateable.
0: So even now that you're like self-aware it's still difficult you're saying to.
2: Yeah, I, I think uh there's like a fear. I think a lot of men will probably have a fear that, you know, we're not going to be accepted into like this clan. You mm-hmm. know, it's like kind of that clan mentality where it's like, oh, everyone's trying to fit in, everyone's trying to have mm-hmm. the same conversation, the same talk. And I think that's why a lot of times I felt like, you know, I didn't feel at place and a lot of fitness world environments uh, because a lot of the talk would be built around that. You know, you start talking with mm-hmm. the trainers uh, about like, you know, some girls that are coming in that you, you have a crush on and you want to kind of like follow them or whatever inside the gym and just make them feel a awkward and weird. And then you kind of <laughs> feel like you have to be be that person.
0: So, did you always feel this way? Like, even like growing up, did you feel like out of place when men would talk this way, or was this something new that you realized later in life?
2: I think a lot of times you felt like less of a man. You know, I think in in the earlier part of my life, I felt less of a man for sure. I was like an Asian guy in Sacramento, where it's primarily like a white suburban place, and sometimes girls would look at you and be like, "Oh, he's Asian," you know, and being like, "Ugh." I didn't I struggled with the confidence to even like kiss a girl I got my first kiss when I was like 18 you know my one of my friends was trying to make me like kiss the girl I went to prom with junior prom and I like couldn't even do that yeah I felt like I was undervalued as a man because I couldn't like experience that or didn't have the courage to start making moves on girls and earning my validation in that way I
0: was gonna say like when okay so like I totally get that you felt like less than growing up but like did you want to participate in the conversation like did you have a drive to? Or were you always like, what are these guys doing? Like, this is not the type of guy I want to be?
2: Yeah, yeah, of course, you, you want to belong, you know, especially at that young of an age, you know, even still now, like you, you want to feel at place and that these are your people. And, you know, throughout a lot of my life, it was hard for me to feel at place, you know, it was hard for me to relate to the people, because it didn't really seem like my vibe, it didn't seem like it was the conversations that I wanted to have, and it would feel really wrong, inside of me to be like to just have all my conversations talking about girls or, you know, talking about sports all day. You know, I I struggle with talking about nothing. I wanted to be able to to see like the depths of people. Like I'm really emotional. What helped me was, you know, being at 24 Hour Fitness, I, I first got my uh, personal training start in the cast show. And you know, it was it was a great experience because you know, help me know what it feels like to be looked at like a piece of meat. you know, walking around. But also I built like really good like relationships with these people. And, you know, to this day, like a lot of my clients are just gay males, you know, because I feel like we can, we can talk about shit, you know, we can talk about things that we're going through, or, you know, I feel like there's so a lot of times gay males are so open, and they're so vulnerable, because that's takes so much courage to even, Uh, open up in that way, right? And then I like to think of myself as a very emotionally open uh, person as well. So being at 24 Hour Fitness and being around people in the Castro really helped me grow as a person and helped me find people that I can really relate to a little bit more and find my place.
1: So women are part of this equation too. This is not a conversation just for men. And I want to find out more about your experience with that because I think for a lot of us who've experienced toxic masculinity in relationships, when we see it so much, it becomes the norm. Mm-hmm. So when they, we don't see behavior of toxicity, we're like, what's wrong with him? Why is he so right. sensitive? Is he weak? Right. Have you ever experienced that kind of pushback or questioning through your dating experience?
2: Definitely. Yeah. So my last girlfriend, I think we got a long Pretty well emotionally, for the most part. When uh, she wasn't like yelling at me and calling me a piece of shit, but uh, she's a really kind person. I mean, if you <laughs> talk to like in the movies, yeah, no, but she's super nice. That was the best transition ever. <laughs> So the, th- the thing is, like, seeing someone outside of a relationship is a lot of times completely different from in that relationship, right? So she can be around her friends. And they can be like, oh, wow, she's such a nice person. You know, she's mm-hmm. amazing, mm-hmm. so kind, so warm. And then they'll look at you being like, what the heck is your problem? Like, how come, how come you, yeah, why are you guys struggling? Because she's so, like, kind and warm. So with her, she would accuse me of being gay, like, every... Every time I'd be hanging out with some of my friends that were gay. Yeah. So uh, I made a video for one of my friends and he's like a soul cycle instructor. He's openly gay and he has a nonprofit for gay men of color or LGBTQ youth of color. And I made this video for him because we could really relate on spirituality and all these different levels. Like he wants to do good in the world. He wants people to feel seen and heard and to have a platform. And I made this video for him. And after I made that, she was like, "Hey, what's up with you and this guy? Like are you guys seeing each other like because he mm, he loves wow. you. he likes you he likes you. can't you see that and then uh she started like really accusing me of being gay and kind of quite pretty frequently how
0: did that make you feel
2: it's It's tough because I feel like I just want to be accepting of people. I want to be loving to people, and you know, I end up hanging out with a lot of like gay guys because we can be more vulnerable Mm -hmm. and i'm pretty open about like i want to fight for lgbtq rights and church like i want to fight for them i want to be an ally Mm -hmm. but then it sucks to have someone just see that love and appreciation for a group of people and she just automatically just thinks it's because you know you want to have sex with them or i don't know
0: well, it sounds like she wasn't accepting you as you were, essentially. And yeah. I think it's like, and I've I've heard this from other experts, too. It's like, us as women, like, oftentimes, we say we want this really emotional man. But then when they break down crying, we think something's wrong, or we think like, mm-hmm. you know, like, there's some like, they're too feminine, or they're too like, they're gay, like, whatever it may be, like, how is that? going to help men be able to be who they really are if that's what the reaction is when they actually Mm -hmm. show just their true colors and vulnerability
2: definitely i I think it's so interesting because you actually see a lot of females in fitness that are like super have like super masculine energy and then you know a lot of times i'll like talk to them like how you doing like i know that you just had this loss in your family, like, do you want to talk about it? Like, I'm here for you. And then that's even hard for them too, you know? So a lot of times they'll have such like a masculine energy that it'll be hard for them to be vulnerable. It'll be hard for them to ever feel weak.
1: When you're pushed to be quote unquote masculine, it makes you remove yourself from who you authentically are. And that's what, when we see violent behavior outlash, that's when we see people becoming something that they're not because they're being pushed mm-hmm. into this category that they don't feel they can relate to. And I, I find that so disheartening because I can't imagine how many men are in this position, how lonely and isolating it must feel to constantly you use the word disguise Joseph. I think that is a word to disguise themselves as this person that they're they truly aren't.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was looking up just like in preparation of this, like some of the major ways that toxic masculinity shows up in relationships. And I think we've hit a bunch of them, like one being not showing pain, expressing feelings, which is basically mm-hmm. what you were just saying. It's like this fear of doing that because this is the reaction that's going to be. So I'm just going to bottle it up and not show it and not be less than a man. The other one was not asking for help. And then the third one I've definitely talked about is sexual virality dominance in women and just like viewing sex as kind of like that gauge, which we talked about earlier, and then using violence to solve conflict. Maybe let's double click in the not asking for help. Like, have you seen that one? in relationships.
2: Yeah, I I think uh, that's one of the reasons why I wasn't growing before. I mentioned that earlier is that one of the main ways that I grew as a man was just asking my friend who was previously married and has like lived a much longer life about you know how how can i be a better man in this you know how can i i guess like look at my mistakes and i think a lot of times i wasn't looking at that i didn't want to do the work because i didn't know i, I didn't have anyone to kind of like ask oh, how do how can i be better you know i just a lot of times in relationships we end up doing just what we know. Yeah, we just know what we see in our parents or uh, in, you know, movies, TV shows, and we believe this is what we should act like. And if we don't have those relationships in our lives where, you know, we can ask people for help on how to be a better man and how to be better in relationship, and we're just not going to really grow as much as we, we need to.
0: So what are some ways that you're growing today? Like, how are you working to become a better man every day?
2: Yeah, I think uh, in terms of relationship, I actually uh, I think a big mistake of mine recently was uh, this last year. Like, I went from that relationship with this girl who was very like emotionally kind of like working on herself and a little bit more mature, and then I, as soon as I got out of that relationship, I kind of jumped into another one super fast. And usually, I'll take mm. like a, a year to kind of grow and and work on myself, but.
0: Was that the toxic one that thought you were gay? Yeah, yeah. So
2: I I jumped into that one. And and there were some books that I wanted to read after that previous relationship was ending. uh, And one of them was called Getting to Commitment. And Mm. I think one thing that's really cool is that they – they change their wording to kind of relate a little bit more to the masculine reader. I feel like a lot of times, you know, when you're reading like dating books, it's like Brene Brown, like talking about <laughs> vulnerability and all this like sweet stuff. And I love Brene Brown. I read so much Brene Brown. But
0: it's not appealing to the average
1: male, though. I can yeah, see what yeah. you right. Well, it wasn't <laughs> written for men.
2: It wasn't. Yeah. Uh, But this book called Getting to Commitment, I really like the wording that they use. Like each chapter is, you know, the courage to do this, you know, the courage to stop blaming the courage Mm -hmm. to be vulnerable. There's all these different strategies that they had about where you should have courage. Uh, courage to stay grounded and to not just like let your mind just go to a whole another place of like fantasy uh so i think that was like super important for me to see something that i could actually relate to a little bit more you know to see like oh wow if someone could change the vow like being a better man as being more courageous in a relationship that's when i was like oh wow like i i actually want to do this you know because it's a courageous act and it's like you know that's what we kind of i guess associate with like oh like a knight in shining armor you know stuff like that And to see that wording made me feel a lot more comfortable with uh, doing that work there. I'm also seeing a meditation coach right now. She has been really impactful on my life. It's pretty crazy because, you know, I did a course on meditation. It's like 15 day short one, just to have like a one-on-one kind of conversation with this girl. And she's taught me a meditation that's very simple. You know, it's just focused on your breath for you know 15, 30 minutes. And in those times, like I'll visualize myself going through those like past mistakes and being like, oh, this is what I should have done in the situation. You know, I wish that so that's why I was talking about that girl who was like super toxic in my life. You know, I don't I don't think our relationship would have made it uh if I were to make these changes solely, but I do believe it would help us. Like, like I didn't have to add fuel to the fire. You know, I could have just slowed down a little bit some of the things that she would always talk about was how I always wanted to do what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times that could be like a, a male thing. I don't think it's necessarily always a bad thing. I think people have the right to live the life that they want, but I feel like it should still incorporate both parties mm-hmm. as much as you can. And I, I, don't, I know that was something that she said that really hurt me. And, but it also made me think, I was like, oh, wow, like I wonder if I was just like always focused on what I wanted to do of my job or in, instead of like lifting up another person. I think sometimes that's what men can often do is that we'll focus on yeah. being successful and, you know, at whatever cost. You know, there's actually a book called like Lonely. I think it's like Lonely at the Top, about how men will just mm-hmm. really work on themselves so much and, you know, really want to achieve success. But then what's the cost of that? Is you lose relationship, you lose family, you're not able to have close friendships with the guys around you. Uh, So I don't want to fall into that trap.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that stems also from like just male, female roles, you know, historic roles that like their whatever they were doing essentially was the priority and the woman was supporting them. And obviously, that's not the world we live in today. But there is that toxicity that hasn't fully evaporated from that day and age as
2: well. Absolutely.
1: And that just shows that Toxic masculinity doesn't have to be negative behavior. And I think there may be some listeners thinking, oh, I'm not toxic masculinist or whatever. I'm a good person. But what you just described was taking control of your life and being independent and making decisions could be a product of toxic masculinity when you forget to involve the other people in your life. So what are some ways people can recognize If they do have this some level of toxic masculinity in them, which I would argue most men do, all men, yeah,
0: (laughs) I feel like Priscill just is like the least toxic man I think we've ever talked to. But I feel (laughs) like, but I feel like it's just because it's been ingrained in use for so long, right? It's like not even your fault. It's just that like it's deep like we're really like unraveling like years and years of patriarchy right
2: yeah I think uh what it comes down to is having the ability to see yourself almost like as a third person you know being able to to look at yourself from a different perspective and a lot of times that happens through journaling where you're like oh why is this not relationship not working out is there something that like really going deep into it so I So just looking over, like, hey, uh, this relationship didn't work out. Was there something of value that I was holding that you know wasn't serving me? Mm. And where did that come from? Why is that the case? You know, how does that affect me and my partner? Right. Uh, Just really going deep into it and just creating that emotion and figuring it out. You know, another thing that he said is that you know when you're inside of a jar, say if you're inside of a jar, you wouldn't be able to read what's on the label of the jar, you know, because mm-hmm. you're inside of it. So you have to be able to look outwards. And I've been having such really good talks with my brother, actually. Uh, so he's always reading these books and stuff on his relationships. You know, he's been letting me speak a little bit more into his life as well. I mean, I'm so grateful that he's able to talk to me about, you know, the stuff that he's going through. We just need sometimes that other person's perspective. We can't do that for ourselves. And we, of course, we want to have the tools to do that. But it's always going to be nice to have someone else who is like a brother, physical brother, real brother, or, you know, a close friend that they can really look at your life and be like, hey, man, like, you know, this happened for this reason, probably. And, you know, how do you feel about that? I think one thing that I'm learning is that it takes so much humility to look at yourself and being like, Mm. hey, you know, because there can be an issue and there can be a clear issue that someone's fucking yelling at you saying you're a piece of shit, right? That's mm-hmm. a huge issue. But that doesn't mean that you're not a m- messing up either, you know? So, like, being like, oh shit, you know? Like, one of the things that I've learned, I think, in that book, Getting to Commitment, is that it's never like a 60 40 split or a 50 50 split in a relationship. It's always 100 mm-hmm. 100. You know, we mm-hmm. always have to take 100% of these issues, right? So, it's like sometimes if someone's treating us like shit, And it's a tough relationship where like, hey, like they're fucking 70% responsible of this mistake and I'm 30% responsible. So I'm just not going to forget about it. But it's like, you're not doing any work. You're not learning about yourself.
0: Right. And I mean, obviously, there's toxic relationships. And that's probably another whole episode for another day. (laughs) But I think in most relationships, there's a reason you're there to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. Like for the most part, again, I don't want to say 100%. But for the most part, there's good in it, too. So I think that accountability is like really important. And I think the old toxicity of men would just be like, oh, it's all her fault. She's overreacting, like kind of undermining it a bit. And I was like looking at some, just doing some research before this episode too. And there was definitely like, I think UA, you hit the nail on the head. It's like, it shows up in really slight ways. Like, I think we think of it as like sexism or rage or, you know, like Mm -hmm. the extremes. But I was reading one example about like, I don't know if this has happened to you UA, but it's like when you don't respond to someone on a dating app, right away and then they start like mm. harassing you that is a form That's of entitlement
2: to- yeah exactly
0: mm. it, it off balances you two right it's already saying like i have power over you mm. so i can just demand your time at and that i can say like talk to me when it's convenient for me and get upset if you don't do that i would not have thought that was toxic masculinity i always thought it was like a sign of a red flag for sure <laughs> but i never equated <laughs> it to toxic masculinity mm. but it Yeah. I mean, I think that kind of like brings me to some takeaways um i think like one of the things that definitely came up for me in this discussion like first of all thank you for being so vulnerable with us i feel like definitely mm-hmm. learned like a lot of just like thought processes and all that but i think so much of it when things like the toxic behaviors that show up really come down to the fact that someone hasn't taken the time to do the self work and it's hard for men like i want to recognize that it's hard for men because as women we are kind of encouraged to, you know, go against the grain in recent years, especially with feminism and all that. It's starting to happen with men. We've had a lot of these, like, redefining masculinity talks, but it's a long process. And I think men have been bucketed into, like, one group for so long of, like, this is how you behave as a man. And I think it is hard to unravel. And I think it does take that time. And as women, we also need to support men. Like, if they start crying, we cannot, like, make fun of people because that is going to suppress it even more. When it shows up, Like obviously I'm not saying stand for bad behavior, but also try to have some compassion for this person that they just are not able to like articulate and handle their emotions essentially.
1: My takeaway is that the onus is not just on the men. In fact, the onus is not just on the men who think that they've been victim to toxic masculinity. The onus is on all of us because let's look at the cycle of dating. You get someone who's a toxic masculine person dating someone, dating a woman where he tells her everything that she wants to hear. And then he leaves her and breaks her heart. Her heart is stomped to pieces. She's now a man hater. Mm -hmm. So then she spreads the hate of men And the next relationship she gets into, it becomes a guilty until proven innocent situation. And it's cyclical because then she's going to have a negative behavior in this relationship. It starts out toxic because of the previous one. And then he's going to respond to that with more toxic masculinity. So... It just repeats and repeats. So I really feel like, at least in the last year, I've made it a priority for myself to stop this sort of behavior right Mm -hmm. when it happens, to address it right there and then, and say, this is not okay. I'm not okay with this conversation. I'm not okay with the way you're talking about this. I'm not okay with how I feel in this situation because it is toxic. Let's address it now. That is the only way to stop it. We cannot- Mm -hmm count on the men to be more self-aware and to read these books and to journal because men can do all they want right now and they many are and I commend you Joseph for leading the pack here and I'm so happy you came on to tell us your story but in addition to that everybody else in society has to stop this behavior and also reward good behavior and let's mm-hmm. keep that in mind because it's got to stop. Now, and it stops with us.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think honestly, like even in pop culture, like there has been major strides in the last years too. Like I rewatched like How I Met Your Mother, which is like the most toxic show I've ever seen. But at one point, I thought it was hilarious. And I think it's like recognizing like what is toxic. And like you were saying, Yue, it's like instead of just laughing along with it or finding it funny or encouraging it, it's having those conversations and making normalizing the behavior that we want men to be able to exhibit not normalizing this toxic behavior. Ultimately, like it's a it's affording men the ability to be who they are. Like I think yes. that's like such like that's so unfair that like you would, I mean, obviously could because you're not a gay man, I don't I think it's so unfair that you would get lumped into a bucket just because you showed a different view of like mm-hmm. what someone's, you know, thought of what a real straight man should be like, you know, so it's just unfortunate that like, we, we are just viewing everyone as one.
1: Yeah, uh, completely agreed. I I just, I'm so excited for men. And at the same time, it must be so scary. Because look at what we're coming out of. We're coming out of the Me Too movement, which is all about blaming men. So I Mm -hmm. think a lot of men carry this guilt with them, this weight with them. Maybe it's just so daunting to even step back and get out of your jar to look at the label that I think some go into deep, deep depression and self-isolation. So I really hope that this conversation can encourage and motivate those of you who feel like you've gone down that that dark, dark place, and know that you can crawl right back out because there are people willing to support you out of that place, and us to begin with, and Joseph to begin with. And I have a feeling, Joseph, you're, you're tasked with this responsibility of mentoring others who are also trying to get out, no matter how old they are. They could be, my dad is approaching 70 and the man is barely crawling out of this dark place. We lost my grandpa, his father end of last year and my dad has not said a peep about it. It's been months and the guy just has shown no emotion about it. And I think it's unfortunate that he's in that place where he's holding it all in. So, please, like this is a time to reach out and ask for mentorships, ask for ask for help. That's what we're offering, right?
0: I mean, that goes back to what we're saying. It's just like years and years and years of suppression with it. Because like when I was home with my family, too, like there was just like this total unbalance of like my mom cooking and cleaning and doing all like the, you know, like that type of work. And it's just... It's hard to view as equals. And I think, Joseph, you said something super interesting that I do want to just like bring home also as a takeaway. It's like sometimes I think as women, we assume we're not enough. Like when the guy like becomes not interested after, you know, like you were saying earlier, like we'll have sex. And then when the actual emotions of a relationship come in, I would bail because that's when it caught up with me. And I think as women, a lot of times we feel like we did something wrong. Or, like there's that and of course i'm not saying that like there's probably a way that we everyone can like show up hundred percent i love that too and meet the person but i think sometimes it's just having that like understanding that that person just might still might be figuring out their own emotional self and it's not a reflection on you
1: so joseph if people <laughs> do want to reach out to you or learn more about you where can they find your stuff
2: Yeah, so uh, you can find me on the Instagram at (laughs) underscore joseph.gabriel underscore. Uh, My talk on redefining masculinity is on YouTube as well. If you look up uh, Joseph Illustrisimo, I-L-U-S-T-R-I-S-I-M-O. Redefining masculinity at Imagine Talks.
1: Thank you so much for taking the time to share with us your story and your journey. Our favorite word, and also getting vulnerable. Our other favorite word, <laughs> the V word, <laughs> the V card, the V card. Thanks for giving us. <laughs> thanks for giving us your V card for. Everyone listening right now, it, we are constantly looking for great guests like Joseph who are going through their own journeys, who want to share where they've arrived and where they're planning to go. So if you fit into that category, let us know. We love to have you as a guest on our show or nominate someone as well. If you've been pondering this topic of toxic masculinity and how it plays into your life, share your story. We're all about providing this platform for different perspectives. Uh, and while you're online, looking at our website and looking at Joseph's stuff on the Instagrams, uh, definitely give us a five-star review in <laughs> Apple Podcasts. <laughs> it's, it's it's non-toxic. It's um, GMO-free, completely organic, and free-range. If you give us a five-star review and a nice little saying or whatever you may call it because it helps us get more guests just like joseph who are willing to open themselves up to us and know that we are legit happy people (laughs) (laughs) all right we're gonna wrap this up stay Stay dateable the dateable podcast is part of the frolic podcast network find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts want to continue the conversation First follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at datable Podcast.